This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app that makes training fun. Because fun is fast. Close up. That's a bit of Welsh for you. Uh, gee, it's one of those sort of happy, sad, emotional moments because we have come to the end of series two but what a series it's been i mean we've passed a million downloads we've brought out a new merch line we've got hoodies t-shirts bib shorts socks a jersey oh we've become an official club haven't we a registered actual real cycling club we've had in-person rides we've had our classic group rides on swift and we've had a few decent guests as well haven't we yeah we've been busy haven't we tom to be fair i think we really stepped it up and um, yeah, it's been good, growing, growing nicely, and yeah, finally, Chairman Thomas finally, you know, delivered <laughs> something. So yeah, happy days. Yeah, my minions have done well when I've commanded them to do things. G, um, favorite moments from the series because we started off with a couple of big names, didn't we? We had Brad Wiggins, we had Tade Pogacha. Good way to start. Yeah, the pog, the podcast, the podcast. Yeah, they were good. To be fair. No, I spoke to Brad in ages, and yeah, that 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 episode was definitely different to what I was expecting. You know, as a lot of people know, there's kind of two sides to Brad. I thought we might have got the the jovial one, but the one loves to throw in a few controversial bombs. But it was totally different, wasn't it? So enjoyed that. That was good. Um, yeah, obviously the podcast was another big name one. Um, but then also I think the some of the smaller, lesser known people, like obviously John McAvoy. That whole story was just mm. insane and incredible. Amazing story. So, um, and there's a bit coming out off the back of that, actually. It looks like, um, yeah, Zwift and myself and John are getting some bikes and, and stuff into some of the uh, juvenile prisons and stuff. So that, that's a oh, bit of positive news. stuff out of that. Yeah, so more to come once it actually gets finalized. But yeah, hopefully that gets, uh, gets sorted. And then... Laurie Morgan, that was a big one. That was, you know, she yeah. was inspirational. I think she's just bonkers as well, isn't she? But she's the best sort of nuts, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it inspired me. I was like, wow, I want to do something like that. Just some mad challenge, just to really push yourself. So maybe not the the Arctic one sounded a bit nuts. Well, and the jungle one, to be fair. Mm. Maybe just the the dragon back seems tough. Yeah, but, start dragging back, I think, and see where it takes you. Yeah, exactly. So, and Wales as well. Not like I've got to go too far, is it? So, <laughs> What about because in uh, November, early November, we had quite a fun night out, which was meant to be you, me, and producer Lou and a few others, but ended up involving a couple of rather big names from the past, one of whom then popped onto the pods a couple of weeks later. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, um, that was a bit of a random night with Fabian, wasn't it? I think he was, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, I don't know if he's always like that or if he just hadn't had a night out for a while. But yeah, he he was keen, wasn't he? He was. We were sat down Very. in that bar. I remember falling asleep, being like, "Mate, I just need to go to bed now." <laughs> like, we're we're supposed to be on stage in like four hours' time. <laughs> I think we did well to perk up for that, seeing that I couldn't really eat anything either, just a coffee and get on stage and do another live pod. But uh, yeah, that was good fun as well. 
got Adam Blythe on, didn't we? Yeah, we did on Ruler Live. Yeah, that was really good. And it made me think, um, it's all think, I think, G, that maybe when Series 3 comes around, we might think about a cheeky live tour at some point. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. It was good fun. Maybe not so much drinking the night before. Maybe the night after <laughs> or the night of. But um, no, yeah. yeah, why not? Yeah, definitely. Or yeah, well, we can start with a live tour, can't we? And then maybe grow into some big badass festival or something yes g-fest g-fest the world's first g-fest which would involve what would it involve actually g-fest <laughs> i'm not sure open to ideas it's a bit of cycling surely surely some cycling yeah i don't know we could grass track is good fun i think Ooh. if we did a bit of grass track because we haven't spoke about grass track it's basically no we haven't it's track bikes isn't it just on a on grass an oval they, I don't think they're banked and they're just, it's just mad. Like, especially, you know, after a few beers, it'd be great fun, that. It'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a British tradition as well, isn't it? I'm sure Laura Kenny did it in her younger days. There might be a track in Welling or something like that in Hertfordshire. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Vicky Pendleton used to do it as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What we probably need is a classic British summer's day where it rains, so the grass is absolutely treacherous, and then we can we can do some um, live podding, and then we can have a few beers, and then we can go careering oh, on the track. Yeah. We can have a big like sort of uh, knockout tournament, can we? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I like Someone it. told me actually that they had grass track at their wedding. I thought that was a bit much. Really? Who was that? I can't remember. It might have been one of the mechanics in our team. Really. <laughs> In terms of other guests as well, we were chatting with our fellow GTCC members on our weekly group ride on Zwift the other night, and we punted for a few ideas. Some very nice suggestions came up. I don't know if we should say too much, if we should save them, but we're talking big names uh, from the recent past, um, some legends of the sport as well. Yeah, I think we keep trying to mix it up a bit now. Obviously, current superstars, but then, yeah, in the past, people have done big things, and other people from other sports as well I think um, you know we'll mix it up with that as well and yeah it's all relatable isn't it it's all top end sport definitely definitely and we shall also lob out a couple of cheeky bonus episodes won't we over the course of our little break between series 2 and series 3 we've recorded a couple of episodes which I think we think will go down rather well yeah definitely I think um, both of them again one of them I was definitely surprised by the guests and how much this person knew and was into it, which really, really surprised me. We were chatting for about two hours in the end, weren't we? So um, yeah, we feel were. sorry for Lou. I had to edit that into 40 minutes. But no, it was uh, yeah another two great episodes coming your way. Nice. It's all good news. Shall we get our final guest of the series on? Let's do it. Sponsor Klaxon. <laughs> Chairman Tom, I hear we've got something special for our members. Yeah, we have indeed, Geraint. We've only gone and partnered up with the best bike insurance out there, Lacquer Insurance. And when any of our GTCC members takes out insurance with Lacquer, they will get an exclusive Geraint Thomas Cycling Club sweatshirt. Right, OK then, Tom. So why are Lacquer so good? Well, Lacquer's collective cover is made especially for cyclists, for life on and off the bike. People just like our honorary GTCC president, Mike Carr. Have a listen to this. I signed up with Lacquer uh, a few months ago. My bike was insured on my contents, which was costing me a fortune. So I went with Lacquer, really great model. And a couple of months later, my wonderful Carbon Canyon was stolen. They broke through my side gate and into my locked bike shed. 
took the bike, which was soul-destroying, but I had a police report, police number, and a couple of photos, which I sent straight off to Lacquer. Literally three or four days later, the money was in my bank account, and I was off new bike shopping, so it was a great service. So if you fancy getting insured with Lacquer and fancy a free GTCC sweatshirt in the process, just head over to www.lacquer.co and sign up using the code GTCC. Enjoy. That was when I saw what I recognised as a fighter bomber. And then it clicks in your brain, oh fuck, they're bombing the airport. Imagine boarding a flight thinking you're heading on holiday, but instead you get taken hostage by Saddam Hussein. All the tanks are in rows and they're all pointing their guns at us at the hotel. And I've never seen anything like it in my life. Imagine being used as a human shield, put in the line of fire, your life at threat. Your daily reality is the fact that at any moment a bomb could come through and hit us, or at any moment when the guard comes along, he might just pull out his gun and shoot you in the back of the head. We're in trouble. We are under attack. Do not leave where you are. That man has been shot. He has been shot. My God. The biggest fear for me was being tortured. Listen to the secret history of Flight 149 to hear the shocking story behind one of the biggest cover-ups in modern history. We know the truth. We know what actually happened. I was there. Search for the secret history of Flight 149 and subscribe now. So, today's guest, Tom, is our final guest of Series 2, so I made sure it's a big one. He's, well, he's my boss, but I've also described him as like a mate's dad. Uh, We'll get on to that. He helped transform British cycling, he set up Team Sky, he's a principal at Team Ineos, and he gave me a great big hug at the end of the tour in 2018 when I won. Welcome to the GTCC, Kreuzsoria GTCC. Sir Dave Brailsford. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good actually. Um, yeah, pretty busy at the minute, but. Um, yeah, busy because you kept me waiting about 45 minutes. For I this. did, yeah, I can't believe it. I didn't realise those were the people with you. That's what I was thinking. You know, things <laughs> I thought you were on your own. And, and I'm forever telling you to you know, reduce the distractions, rest and recover, get your feet up, do your training, and I can. I can Cause you to be 45 minutes late. I can't believe it. Really. It's a look, good look in the mirror there, mate. Uh, we'll, we'll forgive you because you, um, you're kind of like two jobs at the moment, though, aren't you, with Ineos Sport and yeah. obviously the team as well. A lot has changed yeah, it, recently. It, yeah, yeah. so since the start of the year, as Ineos has grown its portfolio of uh, sports teams and it's um, you know it's a very exciting place to be at the minute. Yeah, just for people back home. So Ineos Sport is basically made up of the America's Cup team, the sailing team. You can, might have to help me out here. I'll be nice. quite slow at remembering. But okay. there's OGC yeah. Nice. Lausanne. Lausanne as well. And Abajam in, uh, in Africa. Yeah. That's a football. Football. Obviously, you've got F1 with Mercedes. Oh, recently, All Blacks have just come on board. The All Blacks, yeah. Bastards. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm yeah, doing so... Hacker. I'm doing a hacker, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I wanted and to know... Kipchoge and running. Kipchoge and running, mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. forgot about him. If there was another sport that you could add, just purely from, it doesn't have to be necessarily a massive sport, but what sport would you love to just sort of mm, delve question. into more and see? I think it would be interesting to have one of the American sports. Yeah, I was going to say NFL. 
yeah. just because obviously yeah. I spent a few Januaries down there and it's just and that's around playoffs time mm. and it's just a nut sport because mm. there's a guy um, Amp actually Amp Human who sponsored this pod just randomly now just come into my head but he uh, Jeff he used to be a defensive linesman in oh, the yeah. NFL mm. so I've chatted to him quite a bit and it's just absolutely bonkers from mm. the training to how they played to when they're off. Mm. It's mm. just a completely different world no, to cycling. And, and, and you'll know full well, you know, the, um, in fact, you, you remember Thomas Dimitrov, yes. who was the, yeah, uh, yeah. the general manager of the Atlanta Falcons, who, if you remember, for he his came 50, to the tour, didn't exactly, he? Exactly. Yeah. So he yeah. came for his 50th birthday. He loves, he loves cycling. I think his wife asked him what he wanted a 50th birthday present. And he said he'd like to come to the Tour de France. And of course, we knew each other, so we kind of arranged it. So he came over, came to the tour, and lo and behold, we we arranged for him to go in a car with Nico uh, for a stage. And it turned out that it was it was the Mont Ventoux stage where oh, Froome <laughs> ran ran up Mont Ventoux. So not only did he get to come another day in a car tour de France of all the days, Jeepers, of yeah. everything that he could have experienced, he got out of the car after and he was like, what the hell was that? What's <laughs> this? What's going on? Because it was pandemonium, wasn't it? That day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wind on top of Mont Ventoux, all the crowd had to come down, they pushed all the crowd three or four K down a mountain. Yeah, new everywhere. finish line, one there. And... New finish line, yeah. And yeah. it was crazy at the end because nobody knew what happened, nobody knew what to do. Does the result stand? Does it not stand? Yeah. It was, it was, that was a crazy day. Yeah, just for people back home who might not remember. So in the tour, when you see like the, the crowd parting mm. for the bikes, mm. the motorbikes, and then the race. The crowd just basically didn't part, did it? And the motorbike had to slam on and then three riders yeah. into the back of it. Yeah, it was a poor version of Moses, really, wasn't it? You know, and oh. you were expecting to see to part and they just didn't. And it was, I think it was Richie Port. Richie, yeah. The motorbike yeah. stopped, didn't it? And Richie was the first to hit the, the bike, threw me, piled into the back of him. Yeah. And there was somebody else. Who else was Mollimer, there? was it? Mollimer, no, Mollimer, I think Mollimer got up and carried on, didn't he? And so yeah. that was the whole thing that some people were impeded, some weren't. Yeah. Through his bike didn't work, so instead of which was a, I mean, it's one of the great, great insights into Chris Froome. I think uh, fair play if everybody if ever questioned his competitive instinct. I'm not sure, even yourself. I'm not sure in that situation, would you put your bike down in the middle of the tour, or halfway up one two, and started to run? No, <laughs> it, was, it, was just, it was just you know most you, uh, you'd stand on the side, you'd, 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 you'd be looking for the car, yeah. you'd be looking for your mechanic, wouldn't you? You know, and just yeah. drop everything, start trotting up the hill. You know, it's just. Uh, you know, although he did great. say somebody like was hitting him and stuff, but mm. maybe he was just saying mm. that because he didn't know he felt a bit bad. Yeah, for I know he was. Him. It was that, that. I think that was a real interesting glimpse into the mind <laughs> yeah. of Chris Froome, that you know, and the competitor within. Uh, but, sorry, <laughs> Tom. Anyway, Tom is part of this podcast as well. <laughs> it's nice listening to you two catch up. So I was thinking, Dave, I mean, you two have known each other, certainly probably for getting on for half of Geraint's life. Can you remember when you first, not when you first saw him, can you remember when you first heard about him? Oh, good question. I, I can definitely remember when I first uh, went to, I went over the other side of uh, Nottingham, to about around Newark, somewhere, somewhere like that. And you were racing, I think, in the juniors. And it was a rainy day, it was wet. It was a really kind of British junior kind of... What was the name of the junior series? The um, Peter Buckley. P Peter Buckley series, yeah, yeah, one of those. And I went over there. It wasn't too far from my, uh, from my house, so I thought I'll go over and have a watch. And, um, and that's the first time, I think, I can recall seeing you on a bike. There was nothing at all to suggest that you were going to go on to have, have your career. <laughs> uh, that you did, but uh, no, I'm, I tell a lie. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Pulling your neck. 
What about you, G? What's your first? Do you remember that first meeting, or is there an early meeting with with Dave that sticks in the mind? Well, um, I remember just being in the Valodrome. It wasn't the first time because I'd been part of like the junior program in 2003, but I remember 2004 when the Olympic squad were training in Newport. So I'd met Dave quite a few oh, times before that, but I don't know when I went there then because I just won junior worlds and I went down to don't even know why I went down just to watch and say hello, you know, to you know all Chris Hoy and everyone's there. So why would you not go down and watch him train? And I remember, um, yeah, seeing Dave then, and yeah, it was. Well, it was it was an important time, wasn't it? And it was yeah. just like to see how like on it everyone was mm. really. And just as this like junior who was, you know, still out on the lash like every other week and or every other day. And just like yeah, just seeing that side of things and then seeing Dave, you know, as the big boss, but also kinda I don't know, when you're on the outside sometimes you think, Oh, it's a big boss, like what? Mm. No one'll speak to him, he'll be in his own office or something you know looking down at everyone training but he was just in there amongst everything mm. and that stood out but then <laughs> actually I definitely met you before that because do you remember after Junior Worlds in Moscow 2003 and I was rooming with Matt Bramier mm. and he put a banana in my pillowcase <laughs> and I, <laughs> I took, many. and I was like what the hell yeah. so I took it out threw it at him he threw it back to me bit of a banana fight midnight banana on the walls we go down for breakfast like oh we should clean this up it's like oh we're late for breakfast so we'll do it when we get back get back to the room there's three or four massive um russian women mm. going nuts at us accusing us of pooing on the wall <laughs> oh it's a very brown banana well, the, the banana had you know, obviously yeah gone very brown and there was a trail you know towards the toilet or out the door and uh I remember coming back from that. There was a couple of other things that might have happened during the race um, or during that week. We get back and we all get called into this meeting with Dave. Mm. I think Shane might have been there. Uh, Marshall Thomas, who was a junior coach at the time, I think. And then me, Matt Bramier and... Um, oh, what was his name? Tom Walters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and I just remember sat there and Dave had this pencil that he was like, you know when you do it round your fingers, Tom? I just yeah. thought... Flexing yeah, it. this pencil's going to snap in a minute. He's that angry. Yeah, it was angry, yeah. <laughs> and we were all just yeah. like, oh, man. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, that was that was another big um, first meetings, I guess. Must be quite strange in some ways, Dave, knowing because riders and support staff have come and gone down the years with both through the British cycling years and then the start of Sky and the, the birth of Ineos. I wonder what you would have said had someone said to you back then when you're flexing that pencil and you're furious at this young Welsh lad from Birchgrove. I wonder what would, what you would have thought if you thought, actually, fast forward to 2022 and it will be me and Geraint. It will be the last one standing of the original intake. Yeah, I think, I think you know, you're so busy living day to day, aren't you? You're so busy with your life. It's, it's, sometimes you don't stop and, and take a step back and think about those things. I certainly think when you won the tour in that moment, when you won the tour in the end, I think that was, um, I remember reflecting in quite you know yeah. it was quite um i definitely then really did feel the you know that the journey that had been had if you like and 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 it's like wow this is this is unbelievable you know in in a very yeah. nice way you know it's fun very very um special experience but to be here so <laughs> i mean a long time later now and and to be chatting like this it's um you never know what the the future's going to hold but you know i think one of the things we've always been is ambitious 
and we've, we've been, you know, I think it's part of our DNA really is you've got to really, really believe that you can achieve uh, incredible things. And I think that's one of Garang's great strengths, if I'm honest. You know, you've, you're not, you kind of got nice belief in yourself and your own ability, not to the detriment of anybody else, not in a arrogant or a selfish kind of way, but just, a, you know, you do, you're on, you know, you've got that kind of, no, I think I could do, I think I can, I'll have a crack at that, you know. Mm. And you've had that since you were young. And I think that a lot of people will say, you know, for coaches or managers, you've really got to believe that in, in, in the athletes that they can go and achieve great things. Otherwise, why would they, why would you expect them to be able to believe in themselves? And sometimes as coaches or managers, you think actually you want to try and push people's belief to be brave enough to believe that you can go beyond your wildest dreams and achieve that. But I think you've got a nice balance of that, you know, and um, so to be able to sit here after all of these, you know, all of these years here, it, it's very, very satisfying. I must say it's, it's nice to be able to step back and, and, and reflect a little bit, but it's been a fabulous journey. And I think the, um, you know, the key things I think for me, when when you look back, there's the, you, you, your your career kind of went in phases, I think, and as as if you um you your ability on the bike grew, but equally you were you know I've known you since you were a young guy, you know, and, and obviously you've changed and matured as um, as your career's got on. But I think you had that initial phase where you were really breaking through into the track program. You know, you're very gifted there. When, you know, on the track side, you rode the tour incredibly early. Didn't you? You know, very very young. Yeah, first year pro. Yeah, first year pro. And I can remember, you know, swinging around the back and hanging on oh. and hanging on and hanging on. You <laughs> must be able to remember that. It was, it, yeah, 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 yeah. It was an incredible achievement when you look back. And I remember watching that and, and being so excited for you, even though you like, you know, that you'd be somewhere and you'd be you'd be getting dropped. You're like the excitement of go on, you can do it, and you got there, and it's just that was that, that was an amazing experience, I must say. Well, twenty years next year from that pencil. Bending yeah. 20 years. meeting. That's um, gone pretty quick. That's scary, actually, yeah. So, gee, how's Dave changed in that period? And I remember you telling me once that you could sort of, you noted how Dave's profile was changing, sometimes by the car that he would turn up in. <laughs> the car would get bigger and more expensive. And sometimes it would be the people he was going out for dinner with. So uh, the point where he starts name-dropping Arsene Wenger as a dinner time companion for example all these little markers yeah it's not just going out for dinner though it's going around his house for dinner and you know I think um, obviously when Team Sky started you know it was big bold ambitions we want to win the tour with the British rider and then suddenly from 2012 till 2019 won seven tours out of eight which is just ridiculous like you know to believe and want to do it the once but then to keep going back and doing it and doing it and doing it with four different riders, three of them British, it's um it's crazy really how it how that happened. And and yeah, obviously back in two thousand and four, for instance, when they were preparing in Newport to go to, to Athens, the difference between then and then now is just well, mm. it's insane. Just the mm. the life and the achievements and everything now around Dave. And the sport, it's, isn't it? Sports changed a lot. Since oh, then. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I say the sport in Britain anyway. That was one thing I was going to ask you, though. Like, what makes you keep coming back? Cause Good question, that. I, like, you've also had, you know, health mm. yeah, scares yeah. recently with, yeah, yeah. you know, all cancer, cancer and, yeah. and, and your heart. Yeah, and heart, thing. Heart, heart surgery, yeah. Uh, mm, what keeps my... Well, I, I think I've always had this kind of drive and ambition and, 
you know, both of us grew up in Wales and I grew up in North Wales and unfortunately for you grew up in South Wales, but you can't, <laughs> you know, there we go. Um, but, um, you know, it, I, I grew up in, in Clamberries, the foot of Snowden, my dad was a climber, you know, he was orphaned when he was young, you know, he lost his mum when he was five, his dad when he was seven, and he's a, he was a very driven guy. I went to school in, uh, in Danielland, which is very well speaking, very, you know, very tight community. And my dad was this kind of English guy who moved there and climber. And, and somehow in the middle of all of that, you know, it made me, I think it rubbed off on really wanting to achieve something, you know, and, and be part of the community. And I wanted to belong, you know, mm. and that, and that, I think something drives me in that sense. And then I think, I kind of get these moments of, of real ambition. I think, why can't we do that? You know, why can't it be a British guy? Why can't it be you? Why can't we do something? You know, why, why does it have to be somebody else? Why, we, we should be able to do that. And then I think, oh, God, now we've got to knuckle down and do it. And I think that then becomes a, a very much more kind of, right, we've got to work now, work hard to get, it, get that ambition done. And um, I've never lost my drive. And I think, um, I think like a lot of people work in performance, you kind of... It's like being a lifelong learner, isn't it? You know, you, you yeah. constantly want to, uh, you know, learn more, do more, find out more. But in my own mind, I think if you're going to stay in sport and work in, in high-performance sports, like being on a treadmill or, you know, you've got to run at a certain pace. And if, unless you're willing to run at that pace and you slow down a little bit, you're going to get thrown off the back of the treadmill if it's yeah. at the same pace, you know. And so you make a decision, you know, you get up every morning think, right, am I going to go at that pace? That's what everybody deserves or they want from me and that's what I've got to do. And I'm up with the day I wake up and think, whoa, don't think I can do that anymore. I don't, or I don't feel it, don't want it. Then, um, then I get off. I think. Does the the recent, obviously, like I said, we won seven out of eight tours mm. the last two years. Mm. Pogacar has obviously. Mm. 2021 was the first time I'd ridden into Paris without the yellow jersey in mm. our team since 2014, mm. which mm. is nuts yeah. in <laughs> yeah. itself, yeah. which was really weird as well. Mm. But do those sort of knocks and like challenges almost give you a new lease of life to yeah I think so I, I think um, it, when we were in the middle of that winning streak and you said okay let's have a look at the next 10 years what do we want to do who do we want to win the yellow jersey you know do we want to win it all the time hmm. you know and of course you're going to say yes well yes let's just win it forever you know but in reality you know at some point it's sport you know at some point you know the weather changes in sports and you know you're going to lose one day in sports and if you want to win big you know you're going to have to lose big sometimes you know, you, you try not to lose, but equally, sometimes I think in, it it didn't do the sport any harm for somebody else to win the tour mm. and for us to become then the, the challengers rather than the kind of dominant force. And so I think we, you know, it is it's a real challenge then to, to put yourself back in a situation and think, right now, what are we going to change? What are we going to do? All the other teams of you know, uh, are getting better, everybody's improving. Yeah. And of course... You know, you know, one of the things in sport is the um, the better you get, the harder it is to get better. You know that, and and so those little you're constantly looking for those little areas and thinking, right, we're pretty high up here. How do we keep on getting better? What are we going to go for? And actually, if you turn that around, you can find that that can be a very very motivating thing. But you've got to change and develop at the pace of performance. You've got to change and develop at the, at the pace that everybody else is getting better. Yeah. So the, put the tour to one side. Mm. Would you rather win? I love a would you rather question. <laughs> would you rather win a classic mm. or no, actually, no, let's go, let's go three monuments. So the monuments, San Remo, Flanders, Roubaix, Liège, Lombardy. Mm-hmm. So say, I don't know, whatever, 
you can pick. Roubaix will definitely be one, I'm sure. Flanders. Flanders? Yeah, I like Flanders. Well, I like all of them, I must say. Flanders is my favourite as well, actually. Mm. But it's okay. You could win... You can have three of them. Yeah. Or another Giro of Walter. Well, in my, in my kind of mind, you'd go for all of them, wouldn't you? You know, you get the Giro of the Walter and the, and the three. That's, that's the, yeah. But <laughs> I guess if you push, push comes to shove. At this moment in time, I think it would be fun for us to win three, uh, three monuments. Mm. You know, I think we've done ever so well in the Grand Tours and I hope, hope we'll continue to do so. And we won Milan San Remo. We were very close in Paris-Roubaix with Johnny this year, you know, yeah. we punctured. Pretty sure they stayed away, had he not punctured. But um, Fletcher was third, wasn't he, you know. So I think... Stannard was third. Yeah, Stannard was third, yeah. So I think, I think that, yep, definitely the um, I'd go for the monuments. Mm. Me too as well. It's- and, you know, the sport's changing, you know, and you think, like, the way the... You've seen it yourself, you know, the, the way that we're racing now is a bit different than we did in the past. You know, mm. we're a bit more offensive, if you like. You know, we're a bit more trying to trying to race a bit more aggressively. Um, there's this whole crop of young talent that's come through, and, and they're racing quite differently, you know, than than mm. traditionally. Where the way races were done when 20 years ago, or, or whatever, how long ago it was when you, you you know you were starting out, and and I think that's brought a new dynamic, and 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 we've got riders who can't race in that style. And um, so it's pretty exciting. So I think, you know, with your, your young Tom Pidcocks and those guys coming up through the ranks, they're exciting to watch. And I think, the, you know, they're multidisciplined as they are now. And and so I think it would be fun to win those monuments, I must say. So, Dave, I'm not the first person to ask this question. And great minds have struggled to come up with an answer to it. But how do you beat Tadej Pogacar? Because this is going to be the defining question, I think, isn't it? For the next two, three years, maybe more at the Tour? Yeah, potentially, but I think it's what you've got to... You, if you get into the mindset that you think, mm, you start to believe somebody's not beatable, or you start to think of, you know, invincibility, all of these kind of things, then I think um, that's a very, very dangerous place to be. Um, the whole the whole point of um, sport is you believe. You've got to believe. So you've got to believe in winning. You've got to believe in an ability to find a way to win. You've got to outfox your opponent. And, um, you know, you've got to be creative and come up with ideas. Maybe it's tactical and maybe physically, you know, head-to-head physically, you know, that might be a, might not be the way to do it. Might have to come up with different ideas and different approaches that, you know, you haven't thought of uh, as far as, as yet. So I think you've got to start with definitely it's how, what do we need to do to win and how do we, how do we use what we've got to win. So, you know, not just kind of narrow it down to head-to-head. And, and avoid at all costs. Avoid this idea of well, well, it, it, you know, can't be beaten. For sure, he can be beaten. For sure, he can. Having said that, you know, he's he's uh, he's come along and he's he's performed ever so well. He's pretty relaxed about it. You know, he's, he's got a very good mentality. I've got a lot of ad- admiration for him. But he's human nonetheless, you know. And and, um, and 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 he's a bike racer, and in racing, anything can happen. One thing about Pogaccia, though, I've got a question. I'm going to make it up though because he's not a knob. But mm. say Pogaccia was going to come to the team <laughs> mm. or wanted to come mm. but he was a complete idiot yeah and he was a knob and he was a diva demanding you know guys didn't like him and mm. this and that would you still sign him because of his character oh uh, no I, I don't think i would actually um i think in the end uh, you know yourself how strong that you know how important you, you know you've got to have values uh in a team and you got to to build a team you need an identity you need values 
and you need to for you guys you want a sense of belonging you want to, you want to feel part of something you know you just want to go there on your own like a group of individuals you want to feel boy this is we're together we've got a purpose and we're aligned and going into battle together and all that stuff people talk about it and they'll stick it on the wall and everything else but to make it real and to really build that into a team and for people to feel that is massively important and it doesn't take you know it only takes one bad mm. apple in a group and it can ruin the whole dynamic and so I think you've got to go with you know is it your values and your behaviours over performance you know and, and, and ideally you know you want you don't want people to be robots you know you want your mavericks you want space for people to to be themselves and their authentic self but there is a line I think and you know everybody steps over that line every now and again we're human everybody looks back and go oh god I'm very proud of my behaviour there and we can all do that you know however if it's a you know if it really is you know destructive kind of very self-centred you know damaging to a team environment then uh, I think over the years I think have you done that with anyone is it anyone you're going to sign and thought oh actually no he's a prick yeah 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 yeah, no absolutely I think think you do you know I think who was that then I'm, 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 yeah, yeah. No, well, you got, got to think about the dynamic of it all. And I guess one of the interesting things being in the national team, the Olympic program, is you don't choose uh, from a national point. You know, team national team perspective, your talent comes up through your, your through your system, and and you've got what you got in terms of you dealt the cards that you've got, and then you've got to really decide whether how do you work with that. But in a professional team where you can trade or you can recruit and let people go and bring people in. Then all of a sudden, it's a different thing. Mm. I think a lot of people probably say about that. You know, well, you'll know better than I will. But I've got quite a high tolerance, I think, to uh, to challenging people. And and quite a few people will say over the years when we had a few issues, well, why did you come down harder on that person? You should have done this. You should have been hard on this. But I do like to try and spend the time to think about why did somebody behave like that? You know, what is it that you know what you know? Try and coach and support, and mentor and guide get them back on the rails, give them an opportunity. I prefer that kind of approach in the end. But, you know, there, there, there are certain kind of boundaries you want to step over, but that's what, um, in the main, I think I prefer that kind of way of doing it. But there's no doubt about it. If you've got somebody who's really damaging to the group, get them out. You know, you want a team or you want a group of individuals, mm. that's what I'd say. You, you know, you've been there. You've seen how damaging kind of certain behaviours can be. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not going to go any further than that because otherwise we'll let the cats out of the bag. But also, I think we had him as a guest on an earlier episode of this series. But anyway, <laughs> um, do you think, Dave, right, from your position and you're trying to get the best out of a disparate group of mm. riders and human beings, I guess you have to care about the riders as human beings as well as oh, right, just right. riders. But equally, that's going to bring its own baggage, isn't it? Because you had a situation with Geraint much earlier in his career where he had that really bad crash mm. in Sydney mm. and you had to phone his mum and dad mm. and say, your son's in intensive care. Or you had yeah. the, the Chris Froome crash at the Dauphiné or, or this year, everything that's that's happened to Egan. Yeah, it's still very fresh in my mind. I mean, safety in this sport's an issue for me, uh, increasingly so. Um, I don't think we do enough as a sport on, 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 on the safety side. Because you said to me, you know, in the last couple of years when I've been at the tour, you're like, boy, it used to be you ride at the front, it was you were safe. You ride in the middle, okay, you're taking a risk, we all know that. But then you ride at the back, you're safe. And now, like you said, I think I think after one stage you came back, you said, God, it doesn't matter where you ride anymore, I don't feel, you know, it's getting more and more hectic, isn't it? You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think I mentioned before, it's like before you'd race for the top of the climb 
and you might try and outbreak each other for one or two corners. Now it's just fighting for every corner mm. on mm. the whole descent, and mm. it's just like, mate, boys, it's like hundred k to go. Like, yeah, what yeah. what are we doing? Yeah, like we make a rod for our own backs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the way it's kind of going, and I think. The fact that everyone's a lot better as well. The whole peloton, the yeah. level is higher. The is higher, yeah. So everyone can yeah. be at the front. Everybody the bikes are better, yeah. faster. Yeah. yeah. Disc brakes, like yeah. everyone's got more confidence in them. Like it's just a combination of a lot of stuff in it, but it, yeah. it, it is a crazy. But it's coming back to your question though, uh, Tom, I think it's vitally important that we do do something because there's nothing worse. You know, you, you know, obviously you had your, your accident with your, your spleen, which I can remember, I mean, you, you know, I can remember getting a phone call. You were in Australia. I was back in the UK. Everybody knew you'd had this. It was serious what happened, and it was. Um, then you got that period where you're not quite sure what's going to happen. You know, you're trying to determine the facts. You're trying to get how bad is this? What's going to happen? You know, and then of course you've you, you got the family, you've got the parents, and you feel on the one hand you, you're as worried inside. You're really, really upset and concerned inside yourself, but you think, well, I've actually got to try and be calm here and try and help everybody and organise everything. A bit like a doctor, I guess, you know, in, in A&E. You know, they, they could look at that and respond emotionally themselves or they think, no, I've got to do got to do my doctor's job and then help them, you know. And and you sort of train yourself to do that. But we see, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's quite a lot of crashes in the, in the sport on a pretty regular basis. So we're accustomed to, oh, he's, he, such and such done his collarbone. It's, yeah. it, it doesn't really... It should register a lot more than maybe it does now. But the Chris Froome level of accident, your level of accident, and more recently the you know still fresh in my mind the ego. I was on the um, on WhatsApp with him last night, you know, and uh, videoing last night, and that rocked me this year. I must say, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting older, or whatever. But it was it really rocked me. I must say because it um, he was. He was really, you know, obviously, you know, he broke his leg, he broke his ribs, he, he really walloped himself, uh, you know, in, into the back of that bus. But the most, the thing that they were worried about the most was that um, he'd gone, you know, he'd gone head down in TT position, his head at it, and he really damaged the back of his neck. And um, they thought that the damage could have made him paralysed. And so he had the, they, they decided they were going to operate on him, you know, get him fixed up in terms of bones and everything, and then really do what they were concerned about, which was the uh, the operation to his neck to make sure everything was all right there. And, and that took six hours maybe during the night. And, and he's just sitting there kind of waiting, you know, and, and then you've got to wait for him to come round. You know that's happening at that stage, do you? Just wait, watching your phone, waiting yeah, yeah, for the yeah. updates. And then you think, okay, well, he's going to come round and it's either going to twiggle his feet, move his legs and, and, and arms, or he's not. And um, that that... Yeah, they're dark moments, I think. It makes you really stop and think about what we're doing. You know? Well, I, I imagine like you should, guilt is the wrong emotion to feel. You have no reason to feel guilt. But often in these situations when someone who is our at least our partial responsibility has an accident like that, then that's the emotion you feel, isn't it? It's It goes beyond responsibility into that sense of, is this in some way my fault? Is there something I could have done? Yeah, exactly that, you know, and... and um and also, I guess, in, in maybe in life in general, but it certainly feels to me in our sport that good things happen slowly. So in this sport, you've got to work hard for a long time for yeah. something good to happen. Haven't you? you have. You know, the rewards are a long way down the line. You put in, you put in, you put in, but bad things happen very quickly. Bad things happen in a nanosecond, and so, but the good things happen, take for a long time, long, long time to achieve. So it's about, you know, you and your zero and hitting the bowl. Mm. You know, one minute we think we don't oh, talk about that, Dave, on the no, pod. No, no, okay, okay. We well, don't talk about it, but in the, in the, <laughs> in the you know, but in the context, no, yeah. 
of well, we're looking good here. You're in great shape. You worked all that time. You yeah. built up. You built up. You built up. Then out the blue, in a nanosecond, boom! You know something bad happens. And and I guess you know you become you know you, you kind of get used to that in a way. Not used to it. That's the wrong word. But you kind of realise that's how this that's, that's how this thing plays out. So the goalposts move very quickly all the time for us. One thing I was going to ask. This is that's probably the answer, but. Um... I was going to say, what's the worst bit about, or no, the most challenging bit about your job? I'm guessing that must be one of them. But is there anything else which is like, Pwah. yeah, I, I think up. I think that you know when, when you know you, I I get to see you know I, I know you all individually as, and I try and take the time to think about you all as as your Geraint Thomas. You know, you're not done on Van Baal, but you're all doing the same thing. But you're all very very different, and I take the time. And you know, like in the winter, I'll invest. I, I, I'm a big fan of um, the sort of mental human side of it. You know, all the stuff we did with Steve Peters over the years and the chimp and supporting the sort of what goes on between people's ears and treating people as humans. And, you know, that, um, all of that's important. And I think when you when you we, you take the time, my job is to take the time to, to step into your shoes, see the world through your eyes, what's happened to you right now, where are you at in your life, what's driving you, what's motivating you, what can I help to do, what can I do to help you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, we've got responsibility and, and accountability to, you know, we've got jobs, we're, we're professionals, we've got to get on, get on with that. But more than anything else, I see the sacrifices that you make firsthand. You know, so I see um, the hours and hours and hours of training that you do. I see the sacrifices that you make to be away from the family. I see, you know, long time, you've got to, you know, you've got to live a life which is like a, you're kind of like monastic warriors, do you know what I mean? So you've got to get up with hardly anything on, a <laughs> bit of material on you, and go and put yourself at risk. You've got to fight. You've got to do it for a long time. You know, you've got to travel. You've got the rigours of, of lack of sleep. You've got to watch what you eat all the time. You know, all of that sacrifice, I'm not sure people really see and just see what you have to put in. And I'm, I'm, I, I get to see that all the time. And then I see sometimes you get the dividends and sometimes you win the tour and sometimes you don't. And, and it is difficult to watch somebody and people make all of these sacrifices and then for whatever reason, they don't quite get the performance it deserves. And, and that's, um, yeah, that's the downside mm. of all of this, really. And, I, and that's, uh, you, you feel on a human level, you think, oh, God. They've put in so much. They des- they just deserve it. You know, you think, God, if life was fair, you'd deserve that. So they deserve that more than anything, you know. But unfortunately, life's not fair, you know, and I think that's a, that's a challenge at times. Mm. A car would help. Hmm? <laughs> a car would help if just sent me a car or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you could, you know. A bit of cash in an envelope. We're good at doing cash. We're good at, <laughs> good good at night doing out. contracts. We're doing good. We're good at nights out, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. we good, we've had some good night outs over the years. Well, Tom, sure. so we had a bit of a random night out here. Uh, it was November time, and Dave's like, "Oh, let's get everyone together," and um, <laughs> like no intention of drinking. Like from my point of view, now I was like, me you neither. know, me neither. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, I'm Dave. Not a <laughs> so uh, we go out to this restaurant. Um, really nice place. End up like. Before you know it, we've had quite a few bottles of of wine. I think they were Magnum bottles. They were pretty big. Next thing you know, we end up in a club and, you know, we're getting in at like God knows what time. You know, you don't even know what time you get home. Anyway, the very next day, there's a uh, a charity race <laughs> ride 
in Monaco around the port that we were all doing. So I wake up at like eight, like fuzzy headed thinking, oh man, what happened last night? Why did we do that? Thought I'll go out for a little spin now just to sort of feel a bit better when it comes to the race. Ten minutes down the road, just turned around and went home, went back to bed for <laughs> for an hour before heading to the port. But yeah, that was a very spontaneous night out and don't really drink so much now. No. Um that was good. Though, Both of us really. No, no, but no. But when I think back in the Welsh, day there was some there's a well you know, you know, the whole thing about the Welsh and you can't take the Welsh or the man out of Wales, <laughs> you know. But uh but I think we both got that whatever that gene is where, you know, you get to a certain point of of having a few drinks and then you just don't stop. Yeah. And that's why I never you know, don't have the first, you can't have the fiftieth, can you, you know? And uh, <laughs> My first so, memory of Dave Tom when we were like on the lash, <laughs> I wasn't really with him, but Newport Velodrome had just yeah, opened. I remember that. I remember that. Did that very, very well, yeah. Three maybe. With a pond out the front. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, the pond actually was in, in the foyer, if I remember. Yeah, it was in was um, it? some yeah. hotel like on the motorway junction mm. in Newport. Mm. And uh, so Brad had like won the European Derny Champs. It was the opening of this velodrome. Now it's going Thomas National Velodrome Wales. Is it? Well, yeah, 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 very nice, very nice yeah. place. Um, There's a canal from Brailsford in uh, Bangor. Is there? Yeah, sports Yeah, very yeah. nice. Yeah. I think we should check it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a facilities competition. <laughs> and uh, later on that night, I just remember just have this like flashback of Dave B doing backstroke in the in the pond, <laughs> fully still with all his suit on, um, moving swiftly on. So yeah, we've had some. Yeah. <laughs> I had some nights out. Have you ever argued? No. Well, I don't think I don't think we're arguing types, are we? Really, we're not shouting. We never. No. Don't think we've ever raised our voices to each other, have we? Really, but no. I, I, really... I can tell when he's pissed off at me. That's for sure. He, he doesn't hide that, and I think, um, and vice versa, probably. But I don't think we've ever. You know, we've had difficult times, haven't we? We've been in some pretty heated situations mm. over the years. And uh, some pretty kind of like quite a lot of conflict over the years and different scenarios, different contracts, haven't we, you know, mm. and, and all that kind of stuff's always a bit awkward at times. But I don't think we've ever no, argued I think, full on, have we? No, no. And that's kind of, I think knowing Dave for so long is, is mainly good because the relationship we have, we can be open with each other yeah. and, and honest. No, I, I agree with that. But it does make it hard at times only very rarely, but when you're like, oh, shit, I need to go to Dave with this now, and, or or vice versa, you know. But on the whole, for sure, it makes it makes life a lot better, easier. I think maybe what, I, I don't know, but with, uh, certainly with you, I think what you're very good at is you will go, you know, in a, in a quite calm way. You don't get all flustered and you don't get all, you don't get all kind of anxious or angry or anything, but you will sit down and you go, look, here's my challenge, as it were. You know, I've got this and I've got that option over there I've got this this and this you put yourself in my shoes then you can see why this might be a good solution for me you know and you can see why that might not be a good solution for me and, and my, why I might not want to do that I want to do this and actually that that approach makes it quite easy then to have a, a pretty good you can do, I think we, we're pretty good at sort of discussing all of the different facts and then we kind of do the pros and cons of each one weigh it all up and try and say okay well if it was only you you do that if it was only me, we'd do that. But we, it's not only you, but it's not only me. So somewhere in the middle, we've got to figure this out. And we kind of get there in the end, don't we, you know? And that could sometimes be, you know, when you think about things like, you know, leadership of a, 
you know, leadership of a race, big the big races where you've gone, right, I should be the leader, which is what you think sometimes, <laughs> isn't it? You know, uh, or you, you, you know, you're, you're fed up with somebody and you think, actually, hold on a minute, that shouldn't be like that, it should be like this. It's quite easy to have those conversations in a way, you know, so it doesn't come out and, you know, you, you're pretty mature and you manage that really well, so it makes it, not not that we always get to to agree, but we're pretty good, I think, at putting those things on the mm. table. I mean, you are brilliant. One of the one of the things, Tom, I think I'd say to your credit, I think you think you've taken that into the role that you've now got as a you know as established one of the elder statesmen from a rider point of view, and your influence over the group is massive. You know, they really do. You got a you got a presence. You know, people watch and and look and listen, and you know they take a, they very much take a lead and and listen to you. You got a lot of wisdom now about the sport. You know, but you never bang your chest. You never go right. It's got to be this. Or you've got to be this. That's not you. But you do have a lot of a lot of um, a lot of impact. And and the young lads come coming up now. They you know how you race, what you do, and what you've been. They've got a lot of respect for you because of what you've achieved. And the way you go about that, I think, is is uh, something to be admired. And so, if ever we have a problem, Tom, you know, teams will say, you know, you've got a leadership group, or there's some senior athletes in a team who kind of bridge between management or coaching and the, and the rider group. I think we, you're doing that brilliantly now. I think the our ability to sit down and say, listen, gee, you know, cool, we've got a bit of an issue here, you know, and and we, we, what, what what do the lads think? Can you go and find with the, you know you and Maybe a Swifty and maybe a Luke and you know those senior guys will go into the group and and get the sense and mood in the camp as it were, and bring some stuff back. And when we got problems, I think you're very good at saying, "Hey guys, we could kick off about this. You know, we're not happy with what they're doing over there because we haven't got this or the equipment or whatever it may be, clothing, whatever it may be, bit of an issue." But actually, it's hold on. There's two sides to this, you know. So you kind of say, right, we, we really do need X, Y, and Z sorting. But we understand that it's not that simple to do it, and you kind of manage that bridge between the the riding group and the team and the management brilliantly well. And from our point of view, that's like money can't buy. It does make a massive difference, you know. Well, money could go a long way. <laughs> yeah, but, I just said money can't buy. <laughs> So looking forward to how you are going to answer that without coming across like a snitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say, really, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll spare your blushes because there's something else I'd like to ask you, Dave, and this sort of ties in with what we were saying about caring about the riders as people, but also back to the start when Garrett was describing you, obviously, as his boss, but also sometimes as feeling like a mate's dad. And that's the point where clearly you're running a business and you're running a team that has to be successful. So there has to be, from your perspective, a ruthlessness as well sometimes, doesn't there? So you can win seven grand tours with Chris Froome and enjoy those wonderful moments, yet and get through the horror of that crash at the Dauphiné, yet there's got to be a point too where you have got to say to him, do you know what, it's time for you to move on? Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think <clears throat> the one of the key sort of in... in a, leadership or a management or a coaching role we we all it's very easy to mix up um the difference between a personal relationship and a professional relationship and of course a professional relationship is bound by a you know you've got a job description you've got a contract it tells you how to behave there's a code of conduct it spells it all out for you you know this is what you're going to how you're going to operate this is the role this is what is expected of you so it's spelt out in terms of what you're trying to achieve 
And of course, a personal relationship is different. You know, there's no rules. If I decide I want to be friends with Geraint anymore, off I go. You know, it's, it's like a, you know, and then you might go, well, I did you a favor last week. I want you to do it a favor back. And I'm, I'm going to get pissed off if you don't mean do me the favor back. But, uh, that, but that's not a professional relationship is very clear and, um, and, and you're expected to fulfill a role. So then you think, okay, well, how am I going to fill the role? And how do I separate out? How do I not make the mistake of falling into that personal kind of operating on a personal basis and a personal relationship? And making sure I keep my professional standards so you can be personable in many cases, which is a good way to be, but not personal. And I think that's a learning for a lot of young coaches, a lot of young, you know, like I say, in leadership or management, it's a, it's a skill you need to learn. And you can recognize, wow, well, I really get on. I've got, I'm, I'm pretty good friends. I feel like I'm friends with this person, but equally, you've got to keep that personable and not make it, not make your decision making personal. So it impacts on what is a very clear, straightforward box that you fill in and, and, and it's a professional role that you're playing. You know, we're in, we're together for, for months at a time at a tour, you know, all, traveling all the time. It's very difficult for an entire group to maintain that professional behavior and not fall into normal kind of group personal behavior and personal norms. And you get quite a lot of challenges from that. So I think over the years, you know, when you get, get when you get confronted with very difficult decisions, You've got, to, you've got to be pretty clear in your mind what, what, what you're making decisions about, what variables you're going to use, you know, what, what are the things that you're making a decision for. And at times, you know, again, I've come up with situations where there's a, a potentially um, like a popular decision, what other people would like, what the sponsors would like, what the owners and partners would like, what the riders would like. And there's a performance decision, which maybe this is probably the best decision to try and increase our probability of winning. And then you get stuck. And then that's like, well, God, I think, you know, if everybody was robots and didn't have emotions, then it's straightforward. You just do yeah. this and this and this. But they're not. They are human. They are people. They, I do have a relationship with them. So what are we going to do? But I think from my point of view, as soon as you get any kind of bias, you let any kind of bias come in from a, a relationship or uh, I like this person, wherever else it may be, and you try and take that into a performance decision, you're in trouble. It reminds me, when I had to ring the bank and make like quite a big transaction to something. And then it was all, you know, professional and, you mm. know, security codes, mm. questions, mm. blah, blah, blah. Yes, sir. Blah, 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 blah. Next thing, once that's done, oh, how's, how's the racing going on? Anyway, uh, <laughs> what you got next? And I was just thinking, oh, <laughs> this person that was going to go home and know like yeah, yeah. this, like obviously they, I'm sure they would be professional, but that was weird. Yeah, that was, yeah. it's kind of like... A good example of that, you know, and, and Steve used to do, Steve Peters used to use this all the time, is that um, if you go in, if you think about sort of personal behavior, you know, think, oh, well, can I be bothered today? And am I going to try as hard all the time? And it's just a bit random and, you know, or you think professional behavior, I will always be at my best. I'll always give them a best shot and everything. So you think about a surgeon, for example. None of us really think that, you know, you go into for surgery and on a Tuesday, the surgeon can't really be asked. <laughs> we all assume that like this, without question, the surgeon's going to try and give it the best shot every time. And and we assume a professional code of conduct, you know. Well, one last question. To f Let me just close that door a sec. So just one last question to finish on. If you could relive one race or one sort of moment in your professional career, what would it be? doesn't even have to be a race, actually, but... 
Hmm, good question. I think I think the um, the the start of the London Olympics mm. was pretty cool, and um, you know the fact that a yellow jersey in cycling was what Britain chose uh, as the very first act to open up the Olympic Games. I think from where we came from as a sport um, to the fact that it could have been you know anybody in Britain, you know, and, and actually it was a cyclist and it was a yellow jersey and. And mm. that's how that Olympic Games was open. That felt like we'd come a long way. <laughs> yeah, and I felt we all, you know, it's not, even though it's Bradley who went and did it, I think everybody, it felt like the whole, everybody contributed towards that. You know, you guys, everybody had been on that journey, you know. So I think as a as an off-the-bike moment, that was um, pretty good. I liked, I liked it when you won the tour, if I'm honest, I think. That's you what know. I was looking forward to, be honest. Yeah, yeah. you knew. Yeah, you, knew. you should have said that, that first day. Set piece. <laughs> so, it's so obvious. Piece. Kept, kept him guessing, you know. No, I'll tell you why. i tell you why I enjoyed you. You know, I, obviously I grew up in, in Wales, you know, and I, I, I taught in first language Welsh, did my exams in Welsh. And so Wales has, has been very much a key part of my life. Uh, my mum still lives in Wales. You know, some of my best friends are still there. And when I started out cycling, first and foremost, in North Wales, there was a Rose on Sea club, you know, there was a, the Hollyhead CC and, and, you know, there was these odd kind of club, but you had to go quite a long way to, to kind of get in a club, you know, and it was, it was a, it was a really, really minority sport, you know, and everybody's playing football, everybody playing rugby and cricket and cycling. It's like, what's that? You know, and then sort of to, to late. So I left home, obviously, as you know, when I was, when I was fairly young, went to live in France tried to make it on my own, like a really tough time. And then, you know, came back and, and worked all my career. And then obviously got into the position where, you know, you went and, and won the tour as a, as a Welshman, you know, with the yellow jersey. I, I, he couldn't make it up really from where, in terms of, you know, your journey and mine, to be honest. And so I think it resonated uh, really deeply with me, you know. Mm. So you're welcome. I enjoy that. Yeah, well done, mate. Proud of you. Proud of you. Great way to finish that, Tom, that. Dwednach har benig i Geraint. It's one of the very few bits of Welsh that I have. <laughs> oh, cheers for coming, Dave. Thanks no, for no. the time. I know you're a very busy you. man. Good to see you. So, Tom and Lou, it's our final episode of the series and the time has come. You've done 20 weeks on Zwift now. And I want to know how it's gone. Have you hit your goals? Are you any fitter? Come on, look at the face you're seeing in front of you, G. Look at the leanness of the cheeks. Or at least the slightly more leaner of the cheeks than they were before. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I like the way it's worked over the course of this series. So we started off and it was autumn and I was doing my Zwift sessions with the garage door open and a little breeze coming in. And then in the middle of this series, it was freezing cold and dark outside. The garage door was shut. And now we're coming towards the end of the series into spring. The garage door is open again. And Zwift has kept me going through all that darkness and cold and everything the British winter has to throw at you. I can safely say I have definitely improved my fitness. At the start of the 20 weeks, I could barely finish a GTCC group ride without being in bits. I couldn't keep up. But over the course of the weeks, I have done uh, over 50 kilometer rides. I've been on the turbo for over two hours. I found bib shorts that fit properly. I've got myself a nice saddle, thanks to all of the suggestions from our lovely members. And I just can't wait to continue on with my Swift journey and see you all on some Swift rides over the summer hopefully next step for me is actually progressing it outside and getting myself a real life bike uh wish me luck
We'll all be on Zwift over the spring and summer too. Our weekly GTCC rides will continue, led by our wonderful community, with me, G, and producer Lou popping along when we can. So if you want to have a chat, have a ride, and improve your fitness, go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. We'll see you there. Tom, time for our final Any Other Business of the Series. I'm a little sad. Well, not really, but (laughs) (laughs) let's start with a plug anyway for one of our loyal sponsors, Momentus and their incredible PR lotion. As you know, I've been using this all series. Basically, it's a cream that you massage onto your legs, your muscles or anywhere you fancy really. Well, anywhere this muscles are working, I guess. Um, (laughs) That would be a bit weird. Move on. Anyway, uh, so you rub it on before any hard training session or long ride. And I feel it helps get more done and your muscles are definitely less fatigued and sore. Yeah, and the best thing is you've still got time to use our special GTCC discount code to try it for yourself. Go to livemomentous.com and put in GTCC2021 at the checkout for a whopping 25% off. Go and give it a try. Uh, next up, Geraint, we have Road Captains, and I can say once and for all definitively, we have got through all applications and we have our full set of GTCC Road Captains. I'm thinking we should try and thank them all, G, even though it's quite a long list. Why don't we do half each? And my challenge to you as an elite athlete is you have to say all the names that I'm going to put in front of you on a single breath. <laughs> okay, though, let's go for it. So, a huge shout out to the following. Let me take a deep breath now. Blimey, that's a lot, Tom. <laughs> you can do it. Come on. Grant, Sid, Roy, Jason, Gavin, Suzanne, Kev, Chris, Paul, Harrison, John, Kevin, Stuart, Neil, Ali, Paul, Nick, Ross, Gary, Andrew, Jeff, Andy, Chris, Jason, Patrick, Dave, Luke, Ed, James, Aidan, and Sean. Boom. I didn't want to rush it either. That looks almost easy. Well, you know, big lungs, big capacity here, Tom. So over to you then. Okay, I'm going to do my half. I see this almost as a sort of precursor to our 5K uh, race that we're going to do at some point and also our famous Madone race. Um, so let this be a sort of hors d'oeuvre to that and I shall take a deep breath and see if I can match the elite athlete. Here we go. Uh, also to John, Carl, Ralph, Scott, Fiona and Piet, Trisha, Lee, Murray, Adam, Neil, Ben, Neil, Mark, James, Tim, Stian, James, Raymond, Justin, Elliot, Beth, Roger, Ben, William, Simon, Joe, Brendan, Juan, Carlos, not the King, Colin, Fraser, John, Jeremy and Colin. <laughs> Ooh, just about got there. I was, I was a bit out on Jeremy and Colin. Uh, you did well, but it was a little rushed, I feel. But anyway, good job. Yeah, I matched you, you know it. So thank you to each and every one of you, Road Captains. We really appreciate all the stuff you've done spreading the GTCC far and wide. And to those who have, of course, already arranged in-person GTCC rides. Keep them coming and me and G will even try and join one, I think, uh, at some stage, won't we, G? Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I will, Tom. Um, Yeah, programme depending, obviously. But yeah, we'll get along. We'll definitely get along to one next year. Yeah, beautiful. So that is it from us for Series 2 of the GTCC pod. Of course, the club continues and we'll have some extra special bonus episodes for you in the coming months. Yes, thanks to everyone who's listened and joined the club. I think it's safe to say we're officially the biggest cycling club in the world. And we'll be back very soon. 
Bye for now. See you soon. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Head of Music Emma Hickman, Head of Social Fionn Clark and our Honorary President Mike Carr. Most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.